Brought to you by the Shut Up and Listen Podcast Network. This is the 80s movies your kids can miss. Welcome to that rewind show tonight. Clocked, rocked, and unlocked for you by Simon and Jamie. It's Back to the Future, butthead. things we haven't recorded in so long like when was the last time we recorded i know it's crazy um it was back when we did the last episode of part of the rings i think yeah that's right it was must be october i think it was a short series wasn't it relatively seemed like it lasted forever but <laughs> i've missed you simon i know Aww, it did fucking seem like, nice. like it lasted forever didn't it yeah do you know i was thinking of re-watching some soul I, mean, yeah. I really miss Jimmy. I know, I was thinking the same thing the other day, that I do somewhat miss Better Call Saul. If you haven't listened to our Better Call Saul um, podcast, Saul Rewind, head back and have a listen, it's really good. All right. So is this one of your favourite movies? This is uh, of my top movies of all time, for sure, one of the tops. Um, of all the 80s movies, especially the ones we're covering, like this one, Ghostbusters, um, The Goonies, Labyrinth, and Explorers are probably the most significant ones in terms yeah. of my life from the 1980s, um, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I felt like that before I rewatched it. <laughs> <laughs> and I still feel like that. The okay. first rewatch, I was a little underwhelmed, and then I watched really? it again today, and I, I really got into it. Good. I just thought some of the acting wasn't great, but then does it have to be great? Do we have to hold 1980s actors to the same standard as today's actors? No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, the 80s was a bit like that, but it gives it a weirdness that it otherwise wouldn't have. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we've talked about doing this for, for we actually talked about doing this quite a while ago, like a long time ago, I guess. So we started this podcast ages ago and then it kind of fell off the radar. Um, and then I went to Tokyo and I had a bunch of synchronicity around Back to the Future. And then weirdly, as I was coming back through Seattle Airport, you were like texting me saying, um, there's going to be a Back to the Future reboot. And so we got excited about yeah, that. It was um, all very coincidental. And so we thought... Um, um, time to dust it off. Yeah, we thought it's about time. Ooh, listen to you oh my god did you write that one specifically for this i did, did it take yeah. long yeah did you see i was having difficulty working it in in a natural way there but i think i got away with it <laughs> i think you did i think that was pretty perfect pretty perfect i've read around on the reboot and i don't think it is happening i think that that is just as you said it was like a fan created youtube and right. then I read that um, Zemeckis and the other guy who owned the rights said that there would never be a reboot within their lifetimes, and they're both okay. still alive. So um, I take it that right. I take that as a pretty strong indicator that there won't be a reboot unless they've had a change of heart. But would they go back in such a witty statement? Uh, yeah, I think they would. They surely would. I mean, look at all the reboots that are being done and all the rehashes and new stories i mean we're we're just picking them off all these old I movies know. like it's going to be all of them eventually nothing's going to be untouched um i don't yeah. know if it's going to be zemeckis and whatever or or if uh, you know uh michael j fox is going to be in it or 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 uh what's his face um 
Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. Um, who yeah, never yeah. seems to age anyway, but he'll be around forever. But um, <laughs> you know. but like they're gonna do something like with the kids, you know, it's gonna be the kids of Marty and Lorraine, and it's gonna be all more back to the yeah. future antics and time travel, and it's all gonna be a bit of fun. It's like that 90s show and that 70s show, it's all gonna come back. Oh, I know, but that 90s show is just a wee bit disappointing, don't you think? Like they can yeah. never recapture the magic of that 70s show. No, like, they can't. I mean just... The best parts of that 90s show are when the characters from that 70s show are in it. <laughs> yeah, I know, for sure. And it's still the old clu- the old cliches. Like, I thought it was too stereotypical the way had, they had the queer character, they have the queer character, and, like, they're all just such stereotypes. It's like, are we not past this style of humour where we rely on a stereotype and a, I don't know, whatever, to get a, a cheap laugh? It's the yeah. same with the Connors. Like the Connors reboot, one of the kids is queer, and it's so stereotypical. You know, he carries a pink backpack, and it's like, come on, are we not past that? Like seriously, <laughs> that shows some truth in these in queer representation. You know, it's, mm-hmm. but anyway, what can you do? At least what it's there. You, you know, years ago it wouldn't have been there at all. Yeah, he says with his pink mic sock. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Christ, you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, um, do you want to do all the bullshit about the director and the actors? And uh... I didn't write any of that stuff down, but yeah. if you have it, then let's um, do it. We might no, as well no. at least try to be professional at the start. I mean, other podcasts do a good enough job of that. You know, I, I get a bit sick of hearing them waffle on about who might have been cast as who and why so-and-so was cast and all that crap. Uh, you know, it's all right. If people want to know that shit, they can just go online and read it, can't they? You mean we're not going to talk about um, we're not going to talk about your man? What do you call your man? Who? <laughs> the one that was going to be cast as Marty McFly. Yeah, um, I forget And then he got even. sacked. Yeah, he got yeah, sacked, well, yeah. That's what happens when you get sacked from a, a big hit movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, no, I, he, he went on to be very successful, I read. Well, I, yeah, I think he he still acted, but um, and he was he did his own thing, which is great. Good for him. Yeah, I can't remember. Eric Stoltz, that's his name. That's his name, yeah. time. But I mean, it's like, and, uh, you know, Christopher Lloyd wasn't the first choice for uh, Doc, Doc Brown either. And like, uh, you know, like, it's one of those weird things, isn't it? Whenever these movies eventually become what they are, it's impossible to imagine someone else in the part. It just doesn't make sense. And That's you know. right. And you know what else I read today? I didn't read it, sorry. It was in a documentary I watched um, that Claudia Wells, who played who played Jennifer, right. was also recast. So she was recast in the role whenever they recast McFly as... Uh, sorry, Michael J. Fox's McFly. She was recast as right. Jennifer. So there was, there is an original Jennifer out there somewhere that nobody talks about. Like I couldn't find her name anywhere. But oh, there was okay. an interview with her on a documentary, and she said that she was busy with a different show, and so they couldn't, they couldn't use her. And then whenever mm. they recast Michael and decided to reshoot those scenes, she had freed up her time had freed up, and she was able to go and do it. Which means that Eric Stoltz acted with a different Jennifer. That's weird. And yeah. nobody talks about it. Is that Could because she's totally female? It's a female part, or is it just because Michael J. Fox is a lead? Or I don't know. You know, Maybe. yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Um, 
I do want to give props to another podcast I heard, but I don't have it written down, so I'll do that in the second segment. Um, we're going to do this Back to the Future Part 1 in two parts for our podcast. This is Back <laughs> to the Future Part 1, Part 1, and the next one will be Back to the Future Part 1, Part 2. <laughs> and then we may follow up with Part 2, Part 1, Part 2, Part 2, Part 3, Part 1, and Part 3, Part 2. Um, one day over the, but the we'll, rainbow. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah funny you should say over the rainbow because there is strong elements of the wizard of oz in this movie and it's um it's referenced back think? a few times yeah that's yep. interesting i was gonna say that we should come up with a more complicated naming logic for our shows because i don't think part one part two <laughs> part two part three and all that kind of stuff is complicated enough for listeners to really you're understand. right <laughs> you're right we need to further complicate it somehow I think so. That's up to you to work on. Bit of okay, constructive I, feedback there. Uh, okay, I I can do that. I'll I'll take that. That's my action item for this <laughs> meeting. Okay, good. All right. On with the show. On with the show. Opening scene. Here we yes. go. Yes. All the clocks are set to seven fifty-three. Apart from a couple, did you notice there are a couple of clocks that aren't set to that time? No, I didn't notice. Um, it's weird, isn't it? Like, I wonder why. Like, one of them was set for, um, I think it was like eight ten, something like that. Yeah, I, I didn't see that at all. I, I know there were over thirty clocks, and I especially love the green owl clock. You know, the animal clocks. Like, do With you have a favorite eyes? Yeah, I love. I would love that. That's beautiful. I'd love the I'd love the cat clock where where the, the eyes clock. move because yeah. I think it's a bit understated. Like I looked it up, and you can get like they have released a, a ripped off version of it, but it's like to have it shipped to the UK, it costs like sixty or seventy pounds or whatever, and I don't think it's worth it for a plastic clock. No, but, um, yeah, it looks really good. Cool, cool. Um, yeah. So uh, the, when the movie opens, right there, the first thing we hear is Marty knocking on the door. And there's no answer. And he puts the keys under the mat. And I like that because this whole imagery of knocking on doors, knocking on heads, uh, yeah. knocking on the gates of time and the keys under the mat, you know, keys come up a whole bunch of times in the movie, like later on, which we'll get to whenever um, Marty gets tossed in the back of the trunk and the guys are trying to get him out. And he's like, the keys are oh, in yes. here. Yes, that's right. right. That's because right. like, Marty is the keys. You see, he's the key. And yeah. the door is the doorway. I think George is the door. I'm not sure who's the door and who's the lock and what's the gateway of time and what's the doorway of time, but somehow it all mashes up. That's interesting. But yeah. And then uh, so things we see as the camera pans through uh, Doc Brown's garage. This is his garage. It's basically his his garage has become his residence now. We later find out his. We see on the wall, Brown Mansion destroyed <laughs> in the newspaper clippings. Yeah, Bankrupt inventor right. sells off 435 prime acres. And uh, yeah, so Doc has fallen from, from great heights here. His family fortune's been squandered, well, not squandered because he invented a time machine, but has been whittled away along with his property. For sure. I looked up what was equivalent to 430 acres and i thought i'd go back to my roots with this one if i can find it um because yeah. irish people we always think in potatoes you know what i mean so that's how, <laughs> how many potatoes can you grow with that 445 well, acres an acre if you like potatoes like end to end apparently an acre of potatoes is about a thousand five hundred and ninety four which means that like that number of acres 435 <laughs> prime acres would be about seven hundred thousand potatoes that's insane so uh, just to give you some perspective yeah seven hundred thousand potatoes that's a lot of potatoes. That must be the reason why there was a potato famine in Hill Valley. 
in the eighties uh, <laughs> and nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so the movie's timestamped by the Toyota ad that we hear play on the radio. Um, there's tons of product placement in this movie, like it is everywhere, almost everywhere. every single scene. Yeah, um, especially with Toyotas. So there's the Toyota ad, Toyota ad played on the radio, which timestamps us as 1985. Right. It's very Spielberg, as we've commented in our ET episode and uh, elsewhere, uh, to have all this uh, product placement. Oh, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's how they make money. I think they're just better at it now. So whenever we watch movies of today, we don't notice the product placement so much. They're just better at it. But, you know, Um, as we we mentioned in the ET episode, it does somehow situate you in the time, though. So it it does have a function in the movie. It it creates a feeling. It creates an ambiance of the 80s. And that's how the 80s was actually was. There was advertising everywhere. It was all hyper commercialism was part of the culture. For sure. Um, not as hyper commercialism as Amazon is. They actually have digital <laughs> billboards implanted in their latest production. So do they? Companies can rent a digital billboard inside like one of their shoes and they can update it without like changing the rest of the movie. What the so fuck? they can sell this advertising space over and over and over again. <laughs> oh Jesus. That's fucking clever. Isn't though, that fucked you know, up? Yeah, isn't it? That's smart, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, as we move along in this scene, we see uh, a whole bunch of Doc's inventions. We get a shot of his bed. We're interesting. We see the inventors, the pictures of the inventors, you know, uh, Edison and Einstein are around his bed there. And yeah. um, the dog food's getting dumped, overflowing Einstein's bowl. Oh, That's gross. the dog Einstein, not the inventor Einstein. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and there's a TV news uh, show going on where we find out that um, there's missing plutonium. That's right. That's yeah. right. The Libyans, those pesky Libyans, they're always stealing plutonium. They're always at it, those friggin' Libyan nationalists. Um, Swear to God. Yeah. I watched Dr. Strangelove on the way back from Japan on the plane. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I, like in the middle of the sink whirlwind around Back to the Future and all this crap. And something I noticed in yeah. that movie was all the buttons and knobs and dials. You know, a lot of it is set in a, an airplane. And we get tons of shots of these buttons and knobs being turned and dials and switches in the airplane. And all That's that shit happening. I know all that happening in the scene was to me like from that, I felt it was not, I, I don't know if he deliberately referenced it, but. It, it was kind of cool, all those hokey dials. And I finished watching Andor before I went to Japan. And Andor has the same thing. You know, in Star Wars, where it's like, it's mega in the future with spaceships flying around. But yeah, their technology is like TV screens and knobs and dials and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of like that. I And so I think that's kind of like a little... It's a nice little detail. Yeah, yeah. And it shows how all those auteurs and directors and all are inspired by each other, you know, and how they, all their movies are somehow make, mingled together yeah. in these ways. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I really liked uh, Marty's jacket in this scene. Like, he wears this denim jacket throughout the movie. Right. It was specially designed by Guess. What drew my attention to it was the pin. He's wearing that little, it's got like a white pin with like the little design on it. Yeah, I don't and know it's what from that is. Like a, it's from an Art and Revolution exhibition which ran in London in 1971, which was based on <laughs> um, Soviet art. So it was like, it was what? Art and Revolution was the name of the exhibition. Art and Revolution, and it was about the revolution in Soviet Russia. That is <laughs> so weird. Why would they Isn't pin it? that on his... That's know. bizarre. Yeah, I wonder, really what that, strange. I wonder what that meant. I, I had no idea. Like... Uh, 
but I noticed yeah, the jacket. Really I noticed the jacket when he was in the scene with Lorraine, which we'll get to in a minute at Hill Valley High School. Um, where where not Lorraine, sorry, Jennifer, where she's got this pink thing on and he's wearing his denim jacket, and they just look so 80s. It's just such yeah, an 80s sure. uh uh outfits like costume, it's brilliant. Definitely. The other buttons on his jacket, right? So he has a few different Okay. Um, but he has a bass guitar, so he has a bass guitar which is black and gold, and he has a boomerang. The other interesting badge or little pin that he has on um, his jacket is a boomerang, which of course is what he's going to do. He's going to go back in time and then come back. To then the come back. Oh, cool. Okay, that's yeah. Marty's jacket. Yeah. So the guest jacket, which is just another interesting little detail. Hmm. Yeah, the buttons are a thing throughout. I noticed the buttons when Biff was. Biff was um, getting at George and knocking his head. He's got three gold buttons, three gold buttons on his shirt. And then yes. after I saw that, I started to notice the buttons more and the yeah, buttons yeah. on people's shirts, all the red and blue buttons and all the different things. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, so we see um, Marty plugging in his uh, guitar into the amplifier or more knobs and dials. And I read some of them. They say like driver adjust, primary driver and overdrive. And <laughs> um it made me think of um, four wheel drive in the Goonies. You remember whenever uh, they're in the four by four? Oh, yes. And she's like, throw it into four by four and hold on to your hats. And then they go, zoom, they zoom off down the beach um, yeah. with a four wheel drive. And this car thing is, I, I, I'm not really going to bring it up throughout the episode, but but cars are very symbolic of um, the family, right? If you ever have a car dream, um, that's probably something related to your family is, is what I'm going to say about that. And so this idea of the driver, because, you know, um, Marty drives the DeLorean. He's the main driver of, that's right. of the the DeLorean. Um, there's tons of car stuff like um, George's, George gets knocked down by the by Lorraine's dad in the original timeline. But then Marty pushes that's him out right. the way and he gets knocked down. Biff crashes the car. We'll get to that in a second. But anyway, here's the thing, right? It's yes, cars and the family. Right. You know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he plugs in the cable um, to the uh, amp, uh, and that, that is a call forward to when Doc plugs in the cable when he's at the uh, at the clock tower. Um, all this stuff about connecting the electricity and uh, the electricity and the music, especially because Marty is a musician. And uh, yeah, so then when he strums his guitar, uh, he gets boom. blown across the room. He gets yeah, blown yeah. across the room by this weird, gigantic amp speaker. And um, is that amplifier is enormous. Have you ever <laughs> seen an amplifier that size? I don't know. Maybe no, probably not. No, I have been to an Iron Maiden concert. There might have been one there. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. You know the trope of poltergeist activity that we point out in the other movies with the. Uh, um, well, the other movies. Uh, yeah. Well, this is it, right? He, he strums the guitar. The bookshelf gets knocked over, which reminds us of Ghostbusters, right. right? In the in the basement when the book oh, yes. gets, falls on them. Yeah, of course. And um, yeah, everything's a mess. And uh, then uh, the phone rings, and it's Doc. Are metal my are metal guitar picks common? Have you ever played with a metal guitar pick? Uh, no, this guitar I've pick was metal. Them. Was it really? I didn't notice. Yeah, that. like it, it pictured him holding it up, like you were watching him from behind, and there was like a glint of, there was like a sparkle on it, like oh, there cool. was a little sparkle on it. Right. Um, hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, metal it conducts the electricity, so that's it. He's catching the lightning there. 
<laughs> oh yeah, of course. I hadn't thought of that, and that's what the little sparkle is. Yeah, there okay, you go. very good. See, nice. Yeah, wow, all these little touches in there. Yeah, yeah. So we get a little bit of a jump scare as the uh, the fire station bell appears to be alarm bell rings, and it's the phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Doc's yeah. like, "Meet me at Twin Pines Mall tonight at one fifteen a.m." Oh, I know. Not his best moment, it's fair to say, in terms of acting. But he's very, it's still fine. He has made this major breakthrough and he needs he needs Marty's assistance. Um, and then he gives him a bit of a warning about the amplifier that not to plug it in. Yeah, that's right. Any more comments about the garage? Doc's, uh, well, the alarms go off. The alarms go off. There's the... There's the, are those my clocks? They're all exactly something, something slow. And then Marty's like, oh, I'm late for school. All part of Doc's yeah, experiment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, Marty heads off to school. We get a bit more product placement. So he's got a Sony Walkman on. He goes past the Burger King and a Toys R Us. He holds onto the back of a Ford, passes the Texaco garage. Product placement everywhere. Come on, Stephen. How much money are you going to milk out of Back to the Future? <laughs> you know, something I never noticed actually until these rewatches is that Marty comes out of Doc's garage and he directly is in the Burger King parking lot. So, Doc's, <laughs> Doc's property is like, a Burger King parking lot right it's outside his door. Burger King. There's like a strip mall on it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I know. It's funny. Yeah. What was it before? Like, he had 400 acres, 430 yeah. acres. It was all his property. We see Marty walking up to it in uh, 1955. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But yeah, so here we see Marty's pervy personality coming out. He's a wee bit of a perv, this Marty guy. He's going back through, he's on his way to school through uh, the Hill Valley Town Square, which we see for the first time here. And he waves yeah. at the ladies as he's passing the gym. They're all doing their aerobics class and he's checking them out. He waves at them. They all wave at him as he's on his way past. Yes. He is um, a bit pervy. Like that does come across. Maybe it's just 1980s guys are a bit pervy. Um, yeah. See, well, I just he, did an him. <laughs> you just did a what? An um. An um. Um. Mm. 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 Uh yeah. Mm. Uh um. I can't do it now without actually going air um. Okay. Wait a second. <laughs> I'm gonna get this. The connection with the perviness between uh is between uh Marty and George. We're supposed to be saying that Marty is a bit like his dad. Because oh, he's oh, a peeping yes. Tom and Marty gets his pervy I nature see. from George, you see. Yes, okay, I get it. <laughs> I love the details in the square. Like in the nineteen eighties yeah. square, we've got like a loons a loon shark, we've got a bail bonds place, there's a pawn shop. Mm -hmm. um, compared to the 1950s square, which is all really lovely and nice and has like a travel agents and like proper businesses. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's an interesting comment on how town centers have changed. That's right. Well, um, the <laughs> I'm fixated on the arm and the air now. Uh, <laughs> Just don't, don't replace it with an ah. Uh, that's worse. All right. What you need to do, right? What you need to do is train yourself to take a breath after you say, um, which is what I do now. So I'll go, um, and then speak because then it's easier to edit. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right. I'll give that a try. Um, so <laughs> Hill Valley High School 
we get to where we are going to meet um, Jennifer for the first time, Marty's girlfriend. Yes. And Strickland. And Strickland's going to give Marty a nickel's worth of free advice. Oh, I know. She meets him at the door and warns him that Strickland's prowling the halls looking for him because he's late. Um, That's right. He's had four tardies in a row and he's trying to explain to Jennifer that it's not his fault that Doc said all of his clocks wrong. Yes. Whenever Strickland catches them in the hall and he overhears him talking about Doc Brown and advises him that he's dangerous and if you hang around with him, you'll end up in big trouble. That's right. I want to point out something here that's happening through the whole movie, right? Um, one thing they do here is they put meanings from the movie over the shoulders or in the background um, of the characters. It's going on all the time in the store window signs, really? the clock tower. There's things, there's objects in over the shoulder that you see all the time. And so as Marty and Jennifer are running down the steps, um, I paused it to look at the graffiti and some of the graffiti, graffiti says smegma. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, fast, smiley. Make right. it that what you will. HVAS or Havas sucks Fluio. Um, BBK trans playmates, we jam. Right, okay, and, interesting. Uh, Bob Contami and Aussie Wizard. You see, it's one of these <laughs> calls to the Wizard of Oz. There's Aussie Wizard right there graffitied on the mm. wall, but there are other calls to it. And yeah, so we'll see plenty of that. Um, <gasps> into the school. Strickland's given Marty a nickel's worth of free advice. He says, um, you remind me of your father, McFly. He was a slacker too. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. And Marty says, yeah, well, history is going to change. Yeah, yeah. He's a bit cheeky, our Marty. It's nice. It's cute. Yeah, that's right. He's a bit rebellious, actually. Maybe that's it. It's the rebellious nature. Um, it's, it reminds me of George whenever um, Biff's like, hey, hey, you wouldn't want me to... Uh, you wouldn't want me to lose, get kicked out of school, would you, McFly? And he's like, and George just bombs from when he's <laughs> contemplating how good that would be. And yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, Poor old George. It's not nice being bullied. No, it's horrible. God, horrible. Yeah, Biff's a monster. Marty asks if he can go and he gets pulled back and Strickland lays into him about how he's noticed that the band is on the roster to try out. And then we see yeah. the band. and uh, The Pinheads. The Pinheads, yeah. And uh, even Huey Lewis finds them to be just too damn loud. I know. I love that he was in it. I didn't realize <laughs> until I watched the documentary after. And he was he was one of the people in the documentary. But yeah, that's a really nice touch. It was. I enjoyed Marty's guitar solo as well. I thought it was decent. Yeah, linking back to one of their, their, they had a couple of key things that they wanted to hit on, I think, in the movie, or maybe you want to talk about this at a different time, but one of them is that he invents rock and roll. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of leading into that moment later on in the in the movie. Yeah, that's right. Um... Yeah, so the band doesn't get through to whatever it is they're auditioning for. I think they're auditioning for some kind of school show, and um, Huey tells them to stop, that they're just too loud. And they get he leaves and he's all pissed off and they end up in the square where he's complaining about it. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so in the first, as we as we crossed the square the first time, we did catch a glimpse of Mayor Goldie Wilson's um, campaign 
office, I guess. Here we see there's a couple of boarded up businesses beside Goldie's campaign office and his little car yeah. goes by, his little truck goes by saying, we elect Mayor Goldie Wilson, uh, blah, blah, blah. Yes. So, you know, Hill Valley's not in the greatest shape at this point, you know, and I think that's supposed to, <clears throat> that's supposed to mirror um, Marty's family not being in the greatest shape, basically, um, at this time in 1985. But yeah, Jen's trying to encourage Marty and kind of talk him out of all his negative self-talk. And she says, like Doc used to say, and, and then he interrupts her and says, yeah, he says, if you put your mind to it, you can, you can accomplish anything. And she says, what if Doc was right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great advice. Yeah. There's a number of lines in it, which is sort of like the mission statement of the movie almost. It's like they just keep putting it in there. Like whenever Strickland says, no McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Phil Valley. It's like history's going to change. There's just lots of these little lines which are all like telling you the story. Yeah. Well, that's exactly it. And um, what I found quite interesting is how down on himself he is. Like he's not very confident. Like he comes across as being really confident, but actually he's very scared of rejection. Like he talks about, she talks about his tape, his demo tape and how how it's really good and he should send it in. Um, but he thinks that what what if they say no? What if they don't like him? Then what? So he, it's like he'd rather not send in the tape instead of face the prospect of getting this negative rejection and then dealing with what comes after that. Yeah, which is interesting. You see, there's a whole bunch of um, there's a whole bunch of uh, sexual imagery going on behind the scenes here. Um, as they're and in the front covers- of the scenes and in front of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it's not really right up there in your face actually <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um yeah so marty perves over the girls asses as they walk by they're either leaving or on their way to the That's gym right. for aerobics class and um and in the background right in front of his girlfriend i know she takes it well though um and uh in the background as they're talking we see um there's a bookstore there's a store which says cupid's arrow books films and magazines nudist magazines Yes, that's and, right. Uh, then um, they walk across the square. Marty's drawn across um, the square uh, after he makes that comment about the rejection. And he says, I'm starting to sound like my old man. And so it's the perviness as well as the sense of rejection as George and him have in common. Yeah. He sees the four by four going by and he has this little fantasy about the lake. He says, oh, wouldn't it be great to take that up? And then that's what takes him across the uh, across to the, the bench where the woman is with the the Sea of the Clock Tower um, thing, charity thing, collection she's doing. And he says, oh, we could throw a sleeping bag in the back. And the implication is that they're going to have sex up there. Yeah. (laughs) Don't you think? There's all this sexual imagery going on. So, um, For sure. And and then they talk about Lorraine, uh, how she disapproves of all that. And he says, I think my mum was born a a nun. Yeah, that's right. And then in comes the woman with Sea of the Clock Tower. Am I skipping something? I know, and she shakes her she shakes her little collection pot. It's interesting that it was Lorraine that brought up about his mother. She asks, has he told his mother that they're going to the lake together? Like I just thought that was an interesting it was interesting that she took the conversation there, that she's seeking the mother's approval rather interesting, than him. Yeah. like uh yeah. Even that that's talked about at all. Like this is supposed to be a teenage relationship. What are they, 16, 17 years old, the characters? That I'm not sure of their exact age, but they're seniors mm. in high school. Um and it's just interesting that they're talking about the mother's approval of their relationship. Like, why would that even be a subject to to touch on? I guess it's to juxtapose with the real life Lorraine of that they're gonna meet in later on in the movie that we'll meet the young version of Lorraine and she isn't really like 
the little angel that she makes out to be. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so the woman comes up and she's got the sea of the clock tower and she's waving the flyer. As Marty and Jennifer sit on the bench, the bench has um, an advert for Zeal's Jewelers on it. And uh, in the corner, you can see it says now at Twin Pines Mall. So it's pointing us to the treasure, the jewels at Twin Pines Mall. Over their shoulder, yeah. over Marty's shoulder in the background is the clock tower. We see the clock with the two lions beside it. And... Um, these two lions are the guardians at the gateway of time. You see, clock is time, and the lions are the guardians at the gateway of time. You remember mm. when we were doing the Ghostbusters episode, and there were the lions yeah. outside the New York Public Library? And I was like, I had a That's sink right. about this, but I can't really remember what it is. Well, I, I flashed back to when I was in Port Stewart one time. Um, we were visiting Downhill. And I had synchronicity around the two lions because at Downhill, yes, which is a, right. for the listener's benefit, you go Google it. There's like a lovely park and down by the beach and a little build temple, Musenden Temple at Downhill. And But at Downhill, there's the two lions at the gate, you see. Bishop's and, gate, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so these lions are the guardians. Now, you know, at the New York Public Library and the Ghostbusters, like the library is a repository of memories in books, right? So yeah. it's the past. It's the it's the past written down so it's a gateway to it's a gateway of time the light the library that's why the two lines are outside the new york public library it's the same thing it's the same symbolic imagery right it's uh, the ghosts and the memories and the past is all stored in there and here the lines are guarding time as well mm. um and then over the lady's shoulder we see um the third eye there's a store called the third eye and we see an actual no picture way. of the this well in conspiracy circles it's the illuminati symbol but actually this symbol's That's got right. much broader i mean in terms of its basic symbolism it symbolizes the ability to see into time to see the future and the past uh later doc well we'll get to that but so that's what that's about and um then they have the conversation jennifer writes down her number on the back of the flyer because she's going to be staying at her grandma's house and Marty doesn't have her grandma's phone number. And um, the lady with the clock tower thing, she tells us all about how the clock tower was struck by lightning. And uh, we get That's that right. backstory. And, they uh, want to replace the... It's Mayor Wilson wants to replace the clock tower. He wants to get the clock going again. Um, probably like he wants to get the town going again. And the Preservation Society thinks it should stay the way that it is. Well, here's the thing. It all ties together because it was Marty back in time with Goldie Wilson who gave him the idea to be mayor. And <laughs> he when he goes back, great. see, and then, see, this is the thing, right? He's running for election, right? And yeah. you could see the clock tower as uh, an important, you know, it's an erection in the center of the town. And Marty's yeah. suffering from rejection. So there's the rejection, Oceans. the election, and the erection, and all the sex shops <laughs> in the banks. Like after, after. No, I'm serious. I know. Sorry, I'm sorry. To go to but it's there. It's in the movie. Like, um, yeah. So after this, after they deal with the um, this business with Jennifer and the the flyer, and we get all that out of the way and set up, then Marty's kind of gripping the flyer. He looks. It says, "I love you." That's the power of love, right there. You see, because it's Jennifer's yes. "I love you." Uh, that he takes it out the flyer to read to Doc later, and uh, yeah, that's and right. Over Marty's shoulder, there in that last shot, there's a movie theater, the Essex, where they're running the movie um, 
orgy American style. <laughs> I do. And on the other one, it says triple X adult open 24 hours. So it's like running for election, the sex shops, the anxiety, the rejection. It's like can't get an erection is the uh, yeah. is the underlying <laughs> symbol. And see if the clock tower is see if the erection. Is this and... the synchronicity that you've had? <laughs> <laughs> must be in the back of my mind for some reason. And then, see, the family history, which is all tied in with the town, like you're saying, and the clock tower is all tied in. It's all the same stuff. Yeah, It's like, see if the family is the thing. They have to get yeah. into the back of that truck and have sex. Otherwise, they're not going to have kids in the future. But in order to make that happen, Marty has to go back in time and make his dad have sex with his mom. So... The tangle is oh, really yeah, cool. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's interesting how extreme they've gone and trying to show this slippage in the town square between the 50s and the 80s. Stephen King often refers to it as slippage whenever you get like these physical places that just kind of decrease in standards and you don't notice slippage over time. And all of a sudden you've got a sex shop on your main street um, <laughs> and an adult movie theater. You know what I mean? Um, and it's, 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 it is. It's a direct comment on that kind of that the slippage that happens in small towns when malls open up outside of town and that's where all the commerce goes to and the town square becomes really neglected. Interesting. Yeah, totally. I never even thought about that. Wow. Yeah. And maybe that's related to the car as well, because it's because you have a car that you can get to these great distances. You know, when, when it was just a town in a town square, you just walk downtown and get what you need here. You jump on your horse right. and buggy and off you go. But now, because you've got a yeah, car, you can drive right. a few miles to the outside of town and go to the mall. That's it. And one of the other changes that you see in the town square is that in front of the town hall in the 1950s, is this huge grassy area. And in the 1980s, it's a car park. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm. I only noticed it in I noticed it in the documentary that I was watching where they show the two they didn't show them side by side, but they're talking about them. And I noticed that the car park, it's a car park in the eighties and a, a grassy kind of open square in the in the fifties. Exactly. So they did the same thing with the, the downtown as they did with Doc Brown's house. They turned his front lawn into the Burger King parking lot. Oh my god, <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. They turned it into a fucking strip mall. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Interesting. That's really good. Okay, yeah. So off we go to the McFly household. Yes, that's right. Oh, We're, well, this is a... We, he arrives through the Lions Gate again, doesn't he? So we, that's he, right. we see again that he arrives to this housing development, the Lion... What's it called? What's Lion Estates. Called? Lion Estates. And again, it's covered in graffiti. Yeah, that's right. The only one piece I of graffiti I noticed that is... their neighbours... Go on. Sorry, go ahead. No, nah, you go ahead. No, it's yours is more relevant. No, no, actually, this is completely irrelevant. I just noticed that Mary is written on the, on the, is graffitied there. And when they're in the Hill Valley town, town square, a car goes past, it says for Mary on the license plate. No way. So, That's so funny. But I, I don't wonder know who, who Mary is. I don't know who Mary is. I don't know. That's really funny. That's really funny. I was just going to say that I, um, there's a van parked in one of their neighbor's driveways. That's just the fucking coolest looking van ever. Really? I really want it. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta I really check it out. It. Is it one of those Volkswagen vans? No, it's like a. It's like a. It's almost like the the van that the A team drove. Only oh, cool. it's uh, it's like a kind of a beigey brown color, and it's a couple of different colors. <laughs> like it's really cool. That's I, great. I totally want it. I want it. All right, you should get it. Yeah. 
Oh, I'm going to try and I'll try. Do they exist? I don't know. I'm How sure many years ago was it? I'm sure you can still get them. I bet you can. Um. <gasps> so they arrive at Lion Estates. They go through the gates of time uh, into the McFly households and uh, Biff has crashed the family car. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is it. He's crashed the car. This is the family, the car, the car's wrecked, the family's wrecked, the town's wrecked, and it's all because of this asshole Biff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. He's giving uh, McFly a hard time, George McFly, a hard time about not warning him about the car's blind spot, which doesn't really exist. And yeah. they have like a little conversation around insurance and who's going to pay for it. That's right. Um, you know, the makeup uh, is less than persuasive of George, Biff and Lorraine. Oh, I know. But I mean, it's the first time we get to see Biff and George and Lorraine in 1985, the 1985 versions of them. And even though it's not a great job, it I still enjoy it. I think it still looks cool and it does look weird and it is I know, weird. but I think it's the 80s, you know what I mean? For mm -hmm. the 80s, I'm sure that was pretty cutting edge, you know? I mean, maybe it was decent, but I always did think that Biff, he just sounds like himself and he doesn't sound like he's really aged at all, even though he looks a little bit like he's aged. I don't know. Yeah. But well, still. he does have quite a gravelly voice to begin with. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I sound like I've aged. It's you're only right, 30 actually. years. You know, you're, you're actually, you're right. That's true. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right about that. It would be um, different if he was like a 10 year old and then still talked like a 10 year old 30 years later and was like, <laughs> Have you written my report, Chef McFly? <laughs> uh, he does have a bit of a high-pitched voice, but yeah, but not that high-pitched, yeah. Yeah. So Biff is knocking on George's head here. He's like knocking on his head like Marty knocks on the door. And I, I noticed that and I thought, this is more than just about Biff bullying George. It's like, it's the same thing as the knocking on the door. It's knocking on the doors of time. It's like, is anybody yeah. in there, George? He's knocking on the yeah. door, you see, because it's George's, I realized at a certain point that it's George's transformation that really is where the timeline, it causes the timeline to split, right? And That's creates right. these two different times. It's all about George, really, in a kind of a certain way. Um, I just thought George was so so pathetic here he was so he's carring he's he's the first scene biff is all upright he's big and tall and and george is like hunched over because his, his stomach's in knots he's riddled with anxiety he's kind of writhing yeah. he's gripping the furniture like one hand he's gripping the tv the other one he's gripping a tv tray almost as if he's trying to hold himself on his feet yeah it is it's interesting he's got a very interesting technique the guy who plays george i didn't write his name down i probably should have is it Chris? Yeah, is it um, Crispin Glover? Chris, Crispin, that's it. Yeah, he's got a really interesting, almost nervous nervousness about the way he moves and the way that he speaks. It is. It lends itself quite well to this kind of rule, I guess, where he is cowering. And it's it's interesting because he still does he still does stand up for himself a little bit, and he says, "I assume that your insurance is going to take care of this." And then yeah. Biff just rules over him. You know, he steam rules over him. Yeah, that's right. You can see how hard it was for George to muster up the courage to even say that much. Um, I know, for sure. In the background, we see a bird in a cage. Um, while oh, I George didn't notice Biff that. Having it out. Yeah, there's a bird in a cage I there. I didn't notice, yeah. And um, over Marty's shoulder, we see a big ship, like a ridiculously big ship on the wall. And that the bird in the cage is more connected to the themes, but the ship, I wasn't so, so sure, except that um, later... 
uh, Lou at Lou's Cafe says, what are you, jump ship? Whenever he sees Marty in his life preserve. And, uh, <laughs> That's right. And then That's a bit right. after that, Lorraine calls him a dreamboat. So, mm. but apart from that, I don't know what the ship is about. Um, but certainly this bird in the cage. Now, um, we then flip over after Biff does his thing and calls Marty a butthead and, and that whole scene's done. We flip over to them having dinner, the family dinner. Yeah. And, uh, um, the first thing that we see is George pouring this huge bowl of peanut brittle. Like, how much <laughs> peanut brittle does this guy eat? It was enormous. I know. And he's got a glass of milk in front of him. In the meantime, Lorraine's sipping on a bottle of vodka, basically. Um, <laughs> but oh, do, you yeah, think right. it's, do you think it's a comment on how he's still a little boy? Like, he's still this child who's never grown up? Oh, 100%. Yeah, for sure. That's interesting, actually. He has yeah, this huge true. bowl of peanut brittle with his his glass of milk for dessert. You know what I mean? It's just it's weird. There's yeah, another box right. of and... peanut brittle on the counter as well. So it's not just <laughs> one box. There's like a second box over on the counter. I know who pours himself a box of peanut or a bowl of peanut butter brittle. It's hard to say that right after their dinner or is that his dinner? I don't know. Who knows? Over George's shoulder. He's looking at, over his shoulder actually at the TV where we see that episode of whatever that show is, which I forget. And um, and him and uh, George and David are having this conversation. They're like, um, the last thing you need is headaches. That's what he says to Marty. He's like, you know, why do you want to go up for the lake for? Why do you want a truck for? The last thing you need is headaches. And it's like, they're striving for mediocrity is what I got here. They, they, it's not just that they're, they're downtrodden and kind of pathetic. It's that they actually strive to be yeah. out of the way and mediocre and to fly under the radar and to not create any trouble for themselves is the goal I actually aspire to. <laughs> I was just to... about to say the same. It sounds like you're <laughs> describing like how I lead my life. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Because you're you're like um doing your podcast, you're out there doing creative things yeah. and you know. But these guys yeah. like, no, just forget it. Just just do your job and don't take the risk. Yeah, it's not yeah. worth the risk. Not worth the risk. It is. <clears throat> it's interesting. It really is interesting. And then yeah. the mother starts to talk. Um, I can't remember her name. What Lorraine. Lorraine starts to talk about. She throws the, the cake down on the table and um, talks about Uncle Joey and how he didn't make her parole, so they have to eat the cake on their own. This seems That's to be right. a bit of a surprise to everybody, and they have a conversation about Jailbird Joey, which was quite funny. She wants them all to write to him, but they're resistant. They don't want to do it, that it's embarrassing having an uncle in prison. I just wonder if that's a bit of social conditioning. The 80s movies are great for all this social conditioning that they build in, but that shame about having a, a relative that's imprisoned, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. This is where it comes from. That's it. Blame Zemeckis. Uh, Definitely. Spielberg. Yeah, she, I blame Spielberg. Totally. Fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, she throws down the cake. And what I noticed is a couple of things here. So over her shoulder on the counter, you can see the bottle of vodka. Um, yes, that's right. And uh, the cake has a picture of a bird flying out of a cage. That's right. right? Yeah, that's, and that's right. Really, what's really cool here is the lines of the cage line up with the lines on Lorraine's shirt that she's no wearing way. and her shirt's open and and so the her turtleneck is blue and in the middle of the cake you see the blue sky so yes, the cake is okay. a picture of her her costume is a picture of the cake and vice versa <laughs> she's the bird <laughs> in the cage so she's, yeah she's the bird in the cage 
Oh my goodness. That's what she definitely is. She's stuck in this relationship with George, this this loveless, lifeless marriage without any passion. Yeah. And George is watching the TV. Under the TV, there's the there's the there's the board game life. And it's just as if um that's whenever at the point where Lorraine says, Oh, she tells the story about how he was hit by the her dad in the that's car. Right. He was like a little lost puppy. That's when I realized I was going to spend the rest of my life with him. And she just looks so dejected. And the camera so pans sad. over. Yeah. The camera pans over to George looking at the TV or cuts over. And we see the board game life. It's like she's been sentenced to life with yeah. George. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. In the documentary that I watched, she comments on that and said that it was a very difficult scene to film, that there was a lot of really great direction from Spielberg and from um, Zemeckis himself. But she she made a comment on exactly that, that thing, that although that you're trying to hit the punchlines of the joke, you also have to come across as as like she's in this is a really, really sad moment for her, for, yeah. for Lorraine at, at this time, realizing that she's pretty much wasted her life. Yeah, know? totally. You know, actually, something we've kind of glossed over is um, all the humor so far. Like, it's been a very funny script from the beginning. Really you know, like, good. Tons of funny stuff going on all the time. Marty's got a great, like, Michael J. Fox and and uh, what's his, well, all the actors, really, Christopher Lloyd, they just, there's a great comic, comedic energy going between them. It's, uh, yeah, it, the whole thing's very funny. Definitely. And it isn't that the jokes are that funny. Like, the jokes are okay. It's more the reaction. Like, you're kind of, laughing at how they, they react you know what i mean like it's it's a very situational comedy i guess very physical comedy if that makes sense yeah yeah for sure um it's really good yeah like so she says she then she makes that comment to georgia what was it you were doing george bird watching so it's like a bird in the cage the bird escaping <laughs> from the cage were you bird watching and then when we find yeah. out later george is in the tree he's watching lorraine through a window like the bars of the window and you know she's literally the bird in the cage that he's ogling yeah um, <clears throat> Yeah, but now he doesn't it's even funny. ogle her anymore. He barely even looks at her. Oh, I know, I know. Not good. Not good. Um, she she makes a comment that if it wasn't for being hit by the car, that none of them would have been born. And mm-hmm. then uh, I think she does. She ask him what he was doing in the middle of the street. Anyway, I think she's maybe the one that asks. Yeah. And then she said that whenever he was brought into the house, he was like a lost puppy, and she just fell in love with him. And that mm-hmm. was that. Yep, that was it. And the rest is history. The rest is history. Yeah. Of course, they got onto that conversation. They got onto talking about that because they were talking about um, Jennifer and how Jennifer had called for Marty and she was giving him a hard time about how she doesn't like a girl like that calling a boy and um, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Yeah. We later found Girl out she's Jennifer. Of, yeah. We later found out she's a bit of a hypocrite. Yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Tons of product placement in that scene too. We had Pepsi. They were all drinking Pepsi out of a can. There was a Pepsi on the counter. There's a box of Idaho potatoes, I think it is, like powdered mashed <laughs> potato on the counter. And there's the peanut butter brittle or the peanut brittle. There's a few boxes of that around. There's the vodka. There's tons of product placement in that scene. Yeah. And again, we we cut to Marty in his bedroom next and we get more Pepsi on the shelf. There's bars of chocolate on his table. Yeah, yeah. tons of product placement. Yeah, he scoffs some of the chocolate after he wakes up. He's sleeping in bed beside his guitar, um, and uh, which is the other love of his life, I assume, apart from Jennifer. Yeah. And uh, it's Doc. And Doc is like, you didn't fall asleep, did you? And he's like, no, no. <laughs> and yeah. he jumps up and off he goes to Twin Pines Mall. 
Yeah, so we cut to the mall. He's arriving on a skateboard. Right. It's uh, as the time changes from one fifteen to one sixteen on the giant sign at Twin Pines Mall. Yeah, that's it. I didn't Yeah. notice before that his skateboard had bright yellow wheels. Yeah, that's right. I noticed on one of my rewatches in the opening scene as it comes in, it corresponds to the yellow plutonium, which we're also drawing attention to on the underneath Doc's bed. Yeah, that's right. Actually, Yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, actually, like yellow uh, or gold and red and blue are the dominant colors of the movie. They're literally everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, his red body warmer, Biff's Mm hmm. red shirt. Yeah, you're right. They There's are. tons of it. Even the more you look at it, the more you see it. Like even on the shirts, there's red and blue flowers, red buttons on shirts, blue buttons on shirts. It's just it's, it's literally everywhere. I wonder why. What did they mean? I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure about that, but I do know that. Um, well, I don't know, but I suspect that maybe they just said, look, this is all the all American kind of movie. Just cover everything with red and blue. Who knows? Oh, it could Yeah. have been. Yeah, it could be tied Yeah. to patriotism. Lovely. Yeah. Bit of brainwashing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Twin Pines Mall. For those people that are interested, um, there's a really cool video. Did you ever watch it? Back to the Future Predicts 9-11. No. Oh, God, you got to watch that. It's fantastic. I'm not going to talk about it in this podcast because if people want to know about it, they can just pop over there and, and, and see all the different shit. Um, but anyway, this particular video talks about all the different allusions to 9-11 and how it's Back to the Future is very predictive. And it is very good. This is one of those scenes um, where if you were to flip that clock, uh, instead of one sixteen, it would read 9-1-1 or 9-11, right? And there's there's tons of other references. But watch the video and you'll, Yeah. you'll get the gist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is where we get the big reveal. Marty goes down into the parking lot where we see um, the side of Doc's, um, his thing says uh, science, 24 hours a day, science services or something like that. <laughs> science services, Yeah. 24 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. I've often I've often wondered in the middle of the night where I could get some science services from. That's right. They Or just don't do it here. You just don't get 24 hour science services in Ireland. I know that's right. You just don't. Um, where do you get that? I don't know. Um, San Francisco, Hill Valley. Hill Valley, Hill Valley, of course. It reminded me of um, twenty four hour the twenty four hour sex shop in town. Um, <laughs> yeah and now now we have the internet and the phone, so we do have twenty four hour services that way in terms of um, that kind of. Uh... <laughs> isn't it funny that sex shops still exist even though we've got like more porn than any living person could ever consume on the internet but yet there are still sex shops where you can go in and buy buy dvds and <laughs> i suppose you need places to get sex toys you know but Yeah. anyway <laughs> you do, yeah. We that's an essential service. Um, so so here we go. Um, Doc the DeLorean emerges from the back of the I love just how they they made such a huge deal out of the DeLorean and it was so effective because Oh, it it was was like a massive entrance, yeah. Yeah, and like the DeLorean, the time machine is just one of the the all time uh, movie or TV show vehicle icons. Isn't Um, it? yeah. To think that they almost made it a refrigerator. Like, a, 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 their original idea was that it would be a refrigerator, that it would be a stationary object. <laughs> Wasn't the DeLorean made and invented in Northern Ireland?
It was in Belfast, yes. Belfast, yeah. Right. See, that's just it. Like you're inventing a fridge, and some guy's like, "Hey, what if we put wheels on this thing? You could ride around in it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Short time oh, later, funny. DeLoreans stainless steel yeah. construction. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So out it comes, and it's just it reminded me of Ecto One as well, like the all the sciencey stuff all over it, and. Oh, definitely. It was so good. The detail that went into it was so good. Um, apparently, they had three DeLoreans that they used for shooting. They had like the the full on DeLorean, which had like everything, and then they had two different versions that had less and less detail depending on where they were shooting from. Oh, okay. Um, like, I think the a lot of the close up shots where you see like Marty driving the car are are with like their least detailed DeLorean because they pretty much chopped it in half so that they could get their cameras in. <laughs> you know, it's like half a car. Uh, yeah, sense. it's interesting. Makes sense. Yeah, and they had a stunt DeLorean for all the action scenes. They had like a stunt DeLorean that had less detail because you only saw it from far away. And yeah, mm -hmm. it's interesting their approach, isn't it? That probably accounts for half of all the sales of the DeLorean, just this movie alone. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, they only made, I think they only made a few hundred of them. They're not, there aren't many at all. Before they and realized then, it was crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they had to stop making them. Um, and it was such yeah, a tragedy. Collector's items. Yeah. It's, Sad it really times. Is. It's tragic. Sad yeah. times. So out comes Doc from the DeLorean, the door opens up and um, it's like, it reminded me of Monkey coming out of the egg and uh, Monkey Magic, you know, out he comes from the egg. And uh, we have I love the, the whole... way he turns and he's like, I'm glad you made it or Marty, you made it. And then he's like, welcome to my latest experiment. It's so dramatic, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he's totally fantastic here, Christopher Lloyd. I just love this guy. Um, he's got that he's sort of frantic i felt that you know in terms of wizard of oz callbacks we had the uh the whole you know the way mrs gulch comes in to to try to get toto from dorothy is sort of like biff coming in having crashed the car and then marty passes out and then wakes up that point where he wakes up would be where we're entering the dream it's kind of like dorothy falls she bangs her head and goes unconscious oh, on the bed yes. and then wakes up in oz and now we're we're here and Marty's gone to see the wizard or Dr. Emmett Brown and uh, or whoever, whatever character yeah, he is. Um, and yeah, he there's a anyway, I don't know. I got sidetracked there. That's really interesting the way that he wakes up before like Doc Brown phones and that's him waking up into the stream that is him going back in time to the 1950s. It's interesting way to think of it. Yeah, that's right. Um, what I thought was what I what I thought was quite interesting with how the script is written here is that Doc Brown talks about this being the big one and that it's the one he's been waiting all of his life for and this huge, big, dramatic moment that's really going to make and define his whole purpose. Mm -hmm. um, but he, it, it came about by accident when he fell off his toilet and hit his head. Like I thought that was really funny. That was quite an interesting angle that this hasn't happened through any great work of scientific advancement. He banged his head and <laughs> he woke up and had this vision of the flux capacitor. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, we'll ha I'll get to it later, but there is this, um, it's the flash of inspiration. Um, like people would use sentences like a bolt out of the blue or it just struck me, you know, it just struck yeah. me, right? Like as the, the, the comparison between the flash of inspiration where he, you know, yeah. Ah, damn, my brain keeps jumping ahead. So, like, where... No, never mind. 
never mind. It's because it's all interconnected. It's it's tricky. I know it's hard because everything connects with it. All the scenes are interconnected. And it's hard not to jump ahead to another scene without you know what I mean to catch everything that's in this scene. Yeah. But anyway, I'll cut all that. Did part you out. pick up? <laughs> did you pick up the link to the um, American punk band? No. So whenever whenever Doc Doc gets out of the car, Marty asks, "What well, what is that? What what are you wearing? Is that a Devo suit?" Um, Devo's an American punk band that used to dress up in these weird suits what? whenever they performed. Yeah, they were quite big in the seventies and eighties, and um, then they're still around. I think like I find a YouTube video from them on the in 2010 2013 i think it was so they're still about but yeah you should you should check them out they're called what are they called i think they're called devo i think that's their name i think they're called devo so he asked us that a devo suit whenever he got out i didn't even notice that line at all that's funny yeah Um, and a couple of their songs are quite sexually names like one of them's called whip it and then the other one's (laughs) called girl you want it on the wikipedia article that i read okay well again another kind of sexualized link yeah, that lines up pretty well. Um, yeah, Doc, when he tells a story about falling off the toilet, he's hanging a clock. Um, I mean, he's hanging a clock. It's funny because, like, who who hangs his clock above their toilet? Do you have a clock above your toilet? <laughs> I definitely don't. <laughs> this, doc, this must be where this clock fa- thing began. He just started putting clocks everywhere. That was the first one, the one he put above his yeah. toilet. And um, how funny that he, after hang while hanging the clock, he invents a phone. Fucking time machine! He makes time travel possible. Yeah, well, that's while it. he's I'll, hanging a clock. A lot of my great ideas come when I'm on the toilet too, but I'm not usually hanging a clock when I'm on there. <laughs> but yeah, hey, so he remembers here. He remembers the night, November fifth, nineteen eighty-five, and he keys it into the the dashboard. You see, to that's the time right. circuits, and that's just one of those weird coincidences. There's numerous of them. Like whenever the woman comes up with see of the clock tower, gives them the flyer. Jennifer just happens to be staying at her grandmother's house, which is why she writes the phone number down on the flyer. Um, Biff just happens to crash the family car. Doc happens to remember that moment in 1955, which is why he puts the date into the thing, which is why Marty goes back there. So there's tons of little coincidences and, and uh, you know, which, which, which are driving the whole thing is all based on the coincidences that happen. Yeah, it's very true. Very true. One of my favorite lines. Um, well, actually, maybe we should. I'll, I'll wait until we get to that bit. So, yeah, they strap Einstein in, don't they? Mm-hmm. And they check that the watches are synchronized. And Doc has this huge control, like the DeLorean's a remote control car. Like, how fucking great would that be? It's so awesome. Um, if you actually had a full size remote control car. So awesome, especially for kids in the 1980s, like this giant remote control car, this giant toy. It was just like, (laughs) it was incredible. And the whole scene, the whole action sequence, you know, Marty is sort of, in a sense, he's like an action hero in some scenes. You know what I mean? He's in these intense action scenes. And he's being chased by the Libyans. Einstein barks after he becomes the world's first time traveler. Einstein barks, the Libyans come along. They're all running. Doc gets shot in front of Marty, which is terrifying and traumatic. And then Marty tries to make his escape. And then that whole scene with the DeLorean, that chase. And then as it comes toward, oh, well, we see it twice. We see this incredible transformation of the DeLorean traveling through time. You know, the first time with Einstein, actually, I shouldn't skip ahead. Let's talk about that because it is like the special effects from that part um, in terms of the the fire along the road don't really hold up that well. But, But the overall impact of that sequence that first um transformation is just incredible 
Yeah, it's interesting because they talk about that in the sense that time travel is instantaneous. So one of the things that they thought about was what's that experience like for Einstein in the car? Mm -hmm. And then they came to the conclusion that actually it was instantaneous. So as soon as Einstein disappears, he reappears at the future time. To him, nothing has changed. He's just been in the car the whole time. Um, so they put all their they put their effort instead of having like a time travel sequence that you see in some places and like whenever they go into warp drive or whatever in Star Wars and Star Trek they don't have like a time travel sequence because it's instant. Right, right, right. Yeah, and then yeah. like it's one of my favorite lines. One of my favorite lines of the first part of the movie is um, Jesus Christ, Doc, you just disintegrated Einstein. <laughs> yeah, the way Marty delivers it's really good. I thought that was one of my favorite lines for sure. Yeah, it's spot on. And then we get the exposition. And it made me th- Go ahead. It made me think about time travel. Like, you can never travel into the future and see yourself because you've already left that timeline. Does that make sense? So in time travel, it's not possible to go into the future and meet yourself because you have left by that's getting right. into the time machine. You, you no would, longer exist. You wouldn't be in the timeline, yeah. That's right. Yeah, so you're traveling forward to a time that <laughs> exists without you, which is just totally mad. Unless you travel back, as Sparty does. You can travel back in time, that's right. You can travel back in time, but you can't travel forward in time and meet yourself. You can travel forward in time and you can life tra- would have carried on without you. But yes, that's right. You're not seeing a future that includes you. Yes, that's that's right. Yeah. Interesting. I had some weird thoughts actually as well with this whole thing. Um <laughs> I'm gonna save it for the second second part though. Uh, but it's really all about perspectives, you know. Well, uh, fuck it, I'll just do it. So I realized as we were watching Marty back in 1955, how much of, you know, we're seeing the past, but we're seeing the past through the perspectives of people who were actually there and who were experiencing it. Yeah. And when Marty goes back in time, he's like an outside observer almost, but he's observing it from within. But here, Marty, there's exposition here as Doc um, tells a story about 19. Then he's in front of the camera and Marty's recording the whole thing. And the camera is recording Marty's perspective in that moment of the present. Mm. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. And then the camera is transported back through time and becomes Doc's perspective on this moment through Marty's eyes. But it's all through perspectives. It's all about what were what's being experienced by the people mm-hmm. right anyway yeah. I'll, i might say more about that later but yeah yeah so we've covered the transformation of the car the the exposition oh yeah the only other important piece of exposition is the plutonium doc is about to go back in time but he's forgotten the extra plutonium but the Libyan nationalists arrive just before he can go get the plutonium, put it in the DeLorean. So when Marty goes back to 1955, he's got no DeLorean to fuel. He's got no plutonium to fuel the DeLorean. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I thought it was funny that they even put a radioactive suit on the dog, like a little half radioactive suit. Right, a little hat. It wasn't even a full. <laughs> it wasn't even a full suit. It was like a little half jacket, you know? I know. Oh, yeah. You know, I had a cool experience, a coincidence about this. I watched Kunk on Earth. Have you watched it? I haven't, no, but I've <laughs> heard of it. Have you talked about it before? Oh, Christ. It's fucking hilarious. No, it just came out um, a few weeks What's back. What's it called? 
Kunk on Kunk Earth. Kunk on Earth. Yeah. Okay, I'll have to look it it's up. It's a woman. I think her name's Imogen Kunk or something like that. She's a comedian and she does this thing, Life on Earth, but in the style of a, a comedy style of like Rich, David Attenborough, Richard Amber. Which one is it? I don't know. I always get them mixed up. You know, Life on Earth, all these documentaries where the presenter's <laughs> like, here on yeah. Earth, the humans are da 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 like that. But she does it with full on comedy and it's so funny. But in one of the scenes, she's, she's um, talking to a guy about um, the first dog that the first creature in space being a dog was it a dog or a monkey i don't know but they talk about the dog and he's telling how the dog went up in the spaceship or in the uh the rocket or whatever and then she finds out that the dog actually died it didn't come back to earth it died in space and she was oh fuck she was just devastated she was there's a dead dog in space (laughs) and, uh... <laughs> is this the one with Diane Morgan? I think Diane Morgan plays the lead. She's a really brilliant comedian. I think I have seen bits of this. Okay, Does she get yeah. a job in like a banana factory in one of the episodes? And I, she has this um the character has like a really misshapen face, like it's all lopsided. Am I thinking of the right show? Probably I think not. This is a different show, but I sounds like I want to check right, out that okay. other show about the banana factory. Um <laughs> It's on the I think that one's on the iPlayer. I think it's a BBC show. It's okay. the same. It's the same comedian in Booth. It's the same comedian in Booth, Diane Morgan. Okay. So there you go. We're always giving our listeners great little tips on things they can watch and ways they can yeah. follow up. Yeah, I think we're really good at that. I'm a bit lost in terms of where we are with the movie. We it is are. Kunk. It is Kunk. It is. It's the same. Okay. Oh no! Hold on. It's a. I think the one I mean is called Mandy. If you okay. look up Mandy, All right. it's hilarious. But it's the same. I, I got confused because it's the same actress. I shouldn't Google while we're recording the show because I Googled it and I'm like, oh, that's that woman from the BBC. I've heard other great anyway. podcasters do that. I think it's okay. So yeah, so where we are is Marty um, is being chased by the Libyans. We've got all the exposition out of the way and he he slams his foot down in the gas and he says, let's see if you suckers can do 90. And then he accelerates through the parking lot and hits uh, 88 miles per hour and instantaneously transported back in time to Old Man Peabody's pine breeding farm. (laughs) It's so random, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, he crashes into their barn, and then they all come rushing out. Yeah, that's an airplane right. without wings. No, it's this. The boy has the comic with the picture of the DeLorean on it. That's right. Yeah, Marty. Initially, the very first thing he does is um, knock down the scarecrow. So that took me back to the Wizard of Oz as well with the scarecrow oh, character. Oh yes, there. that's right. And then <laughs> it's uh, this whole scene's just hilarious. Like, sorry about your barn, and then the Peabody's. That oh, come out funny. the magazine and as he holds up the lantern light streams through the doorway into the barn and it's again it's this like light streaming through the gateway like the gateway of time they're seeing the future here right yeah and um out gets marty he kind of stumbles out the guy runs back to get a shotgun and as marty's trying to explain himself he starts taking shots at marty and, oh it's uh, hilarious it's uh my second favorite line the boy goes the boy shouts quick dad he's already mutated into human form and then the farmer screams take that you mutated bastard <laughs> he says he says take that you mutated son of a bitch and then as marty's driving oh, out, is he, knocks, it is? Okay. he knocks down the pine and he yells um Oh yeah! What is it he says? Oh fuck! You fake he bastard! Says... You killed my pine. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, fake yeah, bastard! 
You mutated no, you space bastard. You space bastard. Space bastard. That, yeah. makes, that makes way more sense than fake bastard. I he thought. Said, my pine, my pine. Why you space bastard? You, you fucking. <laughs> <laughs> he killed my pine. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah, it was hilarious. He is so fun. That is so funny. That moment. Yeah, um, the farmer's great. Sometimes these little characters, you know, it's like in Ghostbusters that scene with the, the 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 cleaning lady in the hotel or the oh my god, yes, or the librarian. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they add so much. They're just in for a few seconds, and they've got like one line or two lines. And yeah, they add so much, and they just but fucking yeah. nail it. <laughs> Take that, you mutated son of a bitch! <laughs> I'm gonna get that printed on a t-shirt. Yeah, I'm gonna, that's sure. going to be merch in our merch store for sure. Let's do it, yeah. So, yeah, that's the Peabody farm. And off he goes, having destroyed the pine and uh, Mr. Peabody's hopes of breeding pine trees. And he pulls up, he suddenly skids to a stop, screeches to a halt, sorry, outside of um, Lion Estates, which hasn't been built yet, but yeah, they have just built. just a field. It's just a gate. So now he's on the other side of the gates of time. Eh? He, he hides the DeLorean in there. And, yeah, uh, that's right. The billboard says "Live in the home of tomorrow today." Well, it is his home in the tomorrow of nineteen eighty-five. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Only then, by then, they're all run down and a bit grotty. That's right. Here they are, all shiny and new. So he says he mutters to himself at some point, "This has got to be a dream." I don't know if it was in the barn or if it was here. And then off he goes. The next scene we cut to Marty arriving at the town square of Hill Valley in 1955. That's it. I thought it was a bit odd that the town, like that they had started this development, like they were breaking ground on this big development, the Lion Estates or whatever the fuck it's called. Um, but yet it's still a two mile walk into town. So they've, they're, they're building this housing estate two miles past the town's boundary, which just doesn't seem very plausible. It's a bit vague. unless it exists yeah. outside the 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 time continuum, the space time continuum. Maybe it's just like a little. It maybe just it appeared doesn't there. really exist yet. Yeah, it just appeared mm -hmm. there. The Lion Gates. <laughs> yeah. So in the town square, Mister Sandman is playing this lovely song about dreams. Mister Sandman, bring I me know. a dream. And uh, for me, the Hill Valley Town Square was very different. Yeah, but. The, it was the cars that really bring it home to you that you're in 1955. Like they make a big deal out of all the different cars driving past, and, and yeah, it really gives right. you a feeling of being in the past. You're you're welcomed into 1955. Oh, for sure. They said that one of the comments that the set people made, I can't remember the guy's name, was they they actually aim for a few years before the year that they want to get to, like that they want to create, just so that it doesn't feel new or something, which I thought was a bit of a stretch, but apparently they look at like late 40s, early 50s, and that's okay. the kind of era that they go to, so they go back to like a few years before you actually want to. And apparently they actually created the 1955 town first. Like that was the first set they created. So they created that and filmed all these shots first and then just made it look really shitty for the 1980s version. I suppose that makes sense. That's an easier way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Cool. I thought it was really interesting whenever the, the, the car pulled into the gas station, like these four guys come running out and they start doing all this work on cars. Like imagine if that happened in gas stations whenever you pulled in today. All these yeah, guys just come around and start like, <laughs> it's like a pit polishing stop. your engine. Yeah, <laughs> like what's that all about? Actually, weirdly, it did happen last night as I was driving back from Nanaimo. I I got I pulled into a gas station and a guy came out and just started cleaning my uh, windshield and the back. No way! Yeah. 
I miss service like that. You see, we don't get gas stations <laughs> like that here. We don't have garages like that anymore. Yeah, where well, they we... have like attendants, and you pay them to put the gas in. Like it's the most luxurious experience ever when you don't yeah. get to do it often. You just give them you the drive in, and somebody else points. Is yeah, they they pump the gas for you. It's great. Mm -hmm. How yeah, much do you cool. tip the gas guy? Well, I was going to tip him a couple of bucks, but he kind of disappeared to help someone else before I had the opportunity. But I pumped my own gas, I will say. But he oh, he offered, okay. you know, they they come out, they offer to do it, and then I usually don't accept because I don't know. I'm like, it's weird. Uh, You're awkward and British about people helping you. That's right, and I don't like tipping either, so I just want to avoid that moment where I have to give the guy a tip. <laughs> um, Anyway, he disappeared before I had before funny. I could give him the two dollars which I had in my hand and his loss. He just heard your accent. He heard your accent and was like, There's no fucking way this guy's giving me anything. I'm out. <laughs> That's a cheap British bastard. Um Yeah. Yeah. Well I thought uh, another interesting comment on this time period was the policeman that was waving his truncheon. Did you notice the policeman was walking through the square, but he had his truncheon in his hand, ready to give somebody a, a whack with it? I didn't like he was literally though. swinging his truncheon. <laughs> he was literally walking along, swinging it just so it's handy, ready to fucking whack somebody who steps out of line. I wonder if he was if that was the direction he was given, like swing your truncheon like a proper old timey cop. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> or if yeah. he just came up with it himself, I don't know. Overacting. Yeah. <laughs> and then funny. we get the chimes. We hear the clock tower chime for the first time. That's right. The clock tower speaks. It announces its presence. It's still alive and well in 1955. And a, um, a car goes past blasting re-elect Mayor Red Thomas. Yes, he has the same... He has the same election promises as um, Goldie Wilson. Wilson. The <laughs> Goldie Wilson, which was... Um, I think it was integrity, honesty, and something else was printed on the poster, but the posters were exactly the same. It was just yeah. a different name. That's funny. In the future, it's um I think it's the mayor, it's Red, who's on the um who's a homeless guy on the on the bench in the town square of Martin's no, back to nineteen. Really? Yeah. Because Goldie became That's mayor. Fascinating. Became he lost his job and he, he lost his job and became homeless. Fucking hell. Yeah. Mad. That's Madness. funny. That's hilarious. Madness. Anyway, Marty wants to uh, use the phone. He looks across the the uh, well. He he sees the uh, phone sign in the window of Lou's cafe. He decides he's yeah. going to try to call Doc, and into Lou's cafe he goes. Well, he realizes what's going on. This is the moment where he realizes that he has traveled back in time. Like before this, he he just knows that something fucked up is going on. But he gets a newspaper out of the trash can and he sees the deer and he's like, holy shit, it's 1955. Yeah. It so that was him. Real. And then he starts to look for, he looks across at the cafe and sees that they have a public phone. And he thinks, mm -hmm. I'll call my good old pal the doc. That's right. So when he goes and he goes, um, does he go straight to the phone or does he talk to Lou first? Um, he asks Lou. Uh, Lou, what Lou asks if he jumped if he's just jumped ship as soon as he walks in. <laughs> That's right. What's yeah. with the life preserver? I noticed that um, at Lou's cafe, you can get a twenty-five cent shake, a ten-cent ice cream, or a five-cent coffee. Those were the days. I swear to God, those were the fucking days, man. I'm telling you. But yeah, so yeah, so um. He uh, finds uh, uh, Doc in the phone book. Does he try to call? He doesn't get through or something. And then he rips the page out of the phone book and off he goes to sit down at the counter. 
he asks for directions and the guy is like, are you going to fucking order something? Although he doesn't swear. He says, are you going to order something? <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, I'll have a, I'll have a, a, a tab or something like that. Give me a tab. And the yeah, guy's that... like, I can't give you a tab unless you order something. <laughs> yeah. I like this guy. Lou's funny. And uh, they're just like, you know, they're, they're bringing us back into 1955 and making a big, making jokes out of the, the different i'd love a 1955 diner like i would love to have that as a business yeah, with somebody so else cool. to do all the work like somebody else has to do all the work but i just want it as like a lifestyle business you yeah. don't want to clean I'm not the gonna... floors or wait tables yeah, or cook the food no. or serve the coffee no <laughs> i'll be the best customer though like i'll come and be a customer but yeah you'll be somebody there else all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's like my dream job I've worked for restaurant managers that do that. They just fucking sat in the corner of the restaurant all day. <laughs> like, I know, what right? They did. Yeah. I've totally worked for people like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So here's where we get the, this is the, now Marty, Marty's sitting there. He's got his coffee, something without sugar in it. And in comes Biff and Biff is like, Hey McFly. And Marty thinks he's oh, talking to him. He looks over. And uh, no, he's actually talking to George, who's sitting right beside Marty. So this is it. A weird coincidence is driving this movie. I definitely yeah. feel like there's a sense of destiny throughout this whole movie. Everything is about oh, yeah. destiny. All of this was meant to happen from dog falling off the toilet, lightning strike, striking the clock tower. Yeah. It all goes together. Marty just happens to sit down right beside his dad. It's he's drawn to that spot specifically. And he witnesses the, and he witnesses the exact same scene unfolding yeah, that he just right. witnessed in his own family home the night before. Which would make sense if this is a dream. It would make sense if it was a dream. Exactly the way it all interconnects and and things keep popping up. The same thing popping up in different forms is yeah. is like a dream. That's what dreams are like. Yeah, it's funny as he sits down, like he sits down and he sits kind of and puts his head, his hand on the back of his head, and the camera pans out and George is sitting in exactly the same position, like with his hand on the back of the head, like they're a mirror yeah. image of each other. For some reason, George is eating a bowl of cornflakes, which is a really odd <laughs> choice. Like I've, I can't say I've ever popped in for breakfast somewhere and ordered a bowl of cornflakes. I know, right? Wasn't there a restaurant opened up in London or something? It was like a cereal bar. You could go in and get a bowl. Oh of cereal. my god! Yes, they only served cereal. It was like a cereal. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That is, it's hilarious. Yeah. So poor old George, one thing I noticed about this scene was George wasn't quite the nervous wreck that he had later become in 1985. It's like this period of his life is when it all gets instigated and his life goes sideways because of Biff. Um, we sort of see here that George isn't as anxious. He's not as pathetic, but we can see how this this turns into the future George um, because, yeah. of, because of Biff, basically. And he's bullied and harassed. Biff tells him not to come in there again. And uh, then Marty turns to him and says, you're George McFly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here, before we do that, right, one of um, one of Biff's friends was wearing a pair of 3D glasses. Did you notice that? I noticed it. What did you what do you make of that? Well, I Googled because I was like, why is he fucking wearing 3D glasses? It's the 50s. So I Googled when was the first ever 3D movie that you needed glasses for. And it's a movie called The Power of Love, which actually came out in 1922. Oh my God, that's awesome. What a great find. <laughs> Isn't that awesome that's... that they had the, that they fucking deliberately made this reference to the power of love in putting like a pair of 3D glasses on one of Biff's friends in this scene. That is um, so and it's cool. about 
Yeah, it's about somebody who gets into financial trouble and he makes this promise to his daughter and everything else. Yeah, it's funny. Wow, that's a really cool find. Good job. Yeah. You're sleuthing Yeah, it. I was proud of myself. I know I was proud of myself. It just it's it was a bit strange. Yeah, so that was the first ever movie that was commercially released that needed that style of 3D glasses to watch. Mm. Um yeah. Cool. But anyway. Yeah. That's that's an awesome find. So then he starts talking to George. Oh no, he doesn't really. He doesn't really get a chance to to strike up a conversation with George because right Goldie then, comes over. Goldie comes over and he's talking about how he's he's going to clean. He's going to make something of himself. He's not going to be cleaning the floors forever. And Marty's like, yeah. that's right. He's going to be mayor. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. He's trying to give George this little pep talk, and um, Marty gives him this idea to be to become mayor one day. Like, totally planted that seed in his mind. Yeah, and oh, it's yeah. funny because he says that later on he's having a conversation with the owner of the cafe, Lou or whatever his name is, and Lou's laughing. Yeah, right. Like a color, a colored mayor. That'll be the day, and. Uh, Goldie says, just wait, I'll clean this town up. I'm going to clean this town up. And um, yeah, we see that the 1980s version of the town is very seedy and not very clean. And very really. dirty, yeah. That actually flashes yeah. me back to Ghostbusters because cleaning up the town and cleaning up the place oh, is yes. a huge theme in Ghostbusters. And there's Massive. also the, and there's also the mayor scene in Ghostbusters, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> That's funny. And he gives him the brush and says, we'll make a start with this floor. <laughs> it's another funny little tidbit. Yeah. So, but anyway, Marty turns around and George has flown off. He's gone. He's riding his bike away. Uh, Marty runs after him and he chases him um, all the way to outside Lorraine's family home, um, where George seems to be in a tree with a pair of binoculars. And Marty's like, he's a yeah. big Tom. Oh my God, I know. What a perv. He is a perv, but this is it. This is Marty too. Marty's a perv as well. So George is up but there. But is that a comment on that generation of men? Like, did men that existed in the eighties did they be a bit? Were they a bit pervy? Like, was a bit pervy. Our <laughs> we have to cut that, wasn't he? I'm a bit Why? pervy. Never mind him. Um, oh, but... but you were not not in the way that McFly's dad. Well, not in actually, the way George McFly is. No, or... you're right. I never used binoculars to look through a woman's window while she was undressing. That's absolutely true. Um, no, but totally checked out women on the sidewalk <laughs> as we drove past in the way that Marty checks but, out know, women. Funnily enough, the, about the, the time period women, in the Goonies, totally did. there's that part where Brand had failed his driving test at the beginning and Mouth says, you know, we should be out cruising the coast, down in the bruise, sniffing some boot in the hood. Oh my God. Right? I never, I didn't realize that that line was so sexualized. That's mad. I know. That's mad. But that's the way it was, you know, those were the days as they were saying, as we were saying earlier, like, <laughs> but the question is, is it really like that? Was it really like that? Or was it just like that in movies? And yeah. are we judging people by the standards of today? And is that appropriate? I mean, I don't we think we should call it out. I think we should call it out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, per that kind of pervy behavior is not pervy behavior. It's not um, definitely not as acceptable today as it was as it was in mainstream society then. But at the same time, what George is doing is a bit extreme. I don't think it was acceptable to sit in a tree and look at a woman with three your binoculars undressing in a window. <laughs> oh, but I do remember one occasion really actually, bad. but undressing for your boyfriend in a window was a thing that was done. I remember one time me and 
funnily enough, we're coming home from somewhere. It was when we oh lived in Harryville and I was a little yeah. kid and living next door to us, there was this uh, teenage girl, I guess they moved out before you would have remembered. But yeah, one time me and were come back and it was nighttime and she was up in the window <laughs> on the third floor. These were terrace Way. houses and hey. shirt. And she was actually undressing and the boy, the boyfriend was parked across the street from where we parked down the street. He was standing by his car, smoking a cigarette, looking up at her. No way. Yeah, totally. So yeah, um, uh, he falls out of the tree and Marty pushes him out of the way. So Marty saves, his, saves him from getting knocked over by, by, I can't remember the dad's name. Lorraine's um, dad, George. I guess. Oh, her dad. Yeah, I, I forget his name. Yeah, so he falls out of the tree and he's about to get hit by the car and Marty pushes him out of the way and he gets out and screams, another one of those damned kids jumped in front of my car. It must be, this must, this, this must be quite common. I, I yeah. thought that that common must mean that this is quite a common thing to happen. I think or maybe just George just does it a lot. Yeah, it's just George. He's, uh, he's, he's fallen <laughs> out of the tree a couple of times. This would have been the first time he actually got hit though. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, so then we're taken inside, uh, the tone changes dramatically and we're up in Lorraine's bedroom. It's dimly lit. Um, it's not lit actually. It's dark. Marty's waking up and he's, he says, Oh, I had a terrible dream. I dreamt I was back in time. That's right. She says he's been asleep for nine hours. I'm not too sure what time it was whenever he was in the cafe or when all this happened oh i think George it was, was that's breakfast. it that's it that's what i couldn't put together when the clock tower strikes when he's in the in the town square it's 8 30 in the morning oh i see okay okay yeah i guess that accounts for the time that he got to old man peabody's farm he hit the delorean and then he had to walk two miles into town so i guess he was walking um for the best part of the rest of the night yeah and then so if he he's in the cafe then about nine ish Gets hit well, by the car nine hours later would only yeah eight thirty nine. So what's what's that in time? Nine and nine hours is what six o'clock in the evening? Why is it so dark outside? Yeah, that's right. It is. It's the evening, it's about dinner time, so it kind of lines that's up. That's right. Yeah. Um he tells her that he had a dream that he went back in time and she comments that he's safe and sound now back in nineteen fifty-five. And when they <laughs> turn when the lights get turned on. He sees that he is talking to his mother, but a much younger version, um, a much younger version of her, right, in her teenage yeah. years, yeah. Um, and he's really, really surprised. And he goes, "You're," uh, and then says, "You're so thin." Instead of "You're my mom," mm -hmm. that's right. Yeah, yeah. This is where he has to guard his words really, really carefully because um, he's in uh, yeah. his mom's bedroom, and she's got the hots for him. Apparently, oh, it's so funny. He throws back the covers, not realizing that he's not wearing any jeans, I guess, and asks where they are. And she comments that she's never seen purple underwear before. <laughs> it's really yeah, funny. It's definitely Calls hinted him Calvin. That, yeah, that's right. It's definitely hinted that she was the one that removed his jeans. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> like, hilarious. It's like, so funny. Yeah, I'll probably her and her mum would have done it, I would think. Because I can't exactly well, but, see the dad removing the boy's jeans. That would be somehow I know. worse. <laughs> well, her mom calls up. Yeah, her mom calls up and asks if she's up there. And she's like, quick, put your jeans back on. So I think it was just her. Oh, I you're right. Just yeah. 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 Um, she moves over and sits next to him on the bed. And he gets very coy and backs away until he falls off the bed. And another mm -hmm. piece of comic timing. Again, it's that 
that kind of physical comedy is really good. It's really on point. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and um, they they have uh, an exchange where it's obvious that Lorraine is enamored with him. It's uh, as Doc later points out, it's the Florence Nightingale effect, and. Yeah. Um, you know, he's become her little lost puppy now, and it's not George. And so this is where mm. everything's shifted. It's actually in that pivotal moment whenever George is in the middle of the street and Marty pushes him out of the way. That's when sort of the timeline starts to get starts to yeah. starts to split off. Um <clears throat> and uh the, yeah. The we join the family for dinner then downstairs. They're talking about his life preserver again. I think somebody asks if he's a sailor and he says that he's in the Coast Guard. And then they get he he gets kind of loosely introduced to all the kids and um Gilbert Joey's in the crib. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Which was funny. Yeah. Um as George was looking at Lorraine, that was another example of the looking at the bird in the cage kind of thing. And oh yes. Now okay. we're back downstairs with Gilbert Joey, which is an immediate callback to when Lorraine was in the cage, portrayed as being in the cage of the marriage with George with the cake. Yeah. And yeah, there's there's all sorts of fun and games, all sorts of jokes in this scene. Like he says they've got two TVs and the kids, what, two TVs? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's Kevin Arnold's brother from um, oh, The Wonder yeah. Years, that oh, actor. Right. Really I'd forgotten that. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen The Wonder Years in ages. Did they reboot The Wonder Years? They've done reboots of almost everything now. I wonder if that'll be next. I wonder. I think I might have heard something like that. I don't know. I have to look it up. Mm. Um. So yeah, the mother. Um, yeah, the mother comments on whether or not she knows him. Like, does she know his mother because he looks so familiar? And uh, he says something. There's there's this line about wanting to give them a call. Should we give her a call and let her know that you're okay? But he quickly says that he can't because no one's home. And then seeing an opportunity, Lorraine is like, oh, well, if nobody's there, maybe you should stay here mm -hmm. and grabs his leg under the table and he <laughs> leaps up. He leaps up and it's like, no, I've got to go. Yeah. I, you know, Michael J. Fox does a great job of portraying the sort of creepiness of that whole thing. Like From his point of view, it's like very extremely yeah. weird. You know, it would be hard yeah. to imagine how weird that would be. But he does a great job of depicting how weird and uncomfortable it is for him really good like it is it's really really good brilliant you brilliant. know behind um so he takes off well sorry yeah um this was a there's the, the cool line where marty's like um oh yeah yeah this is a this is a rerun i've seen this one this is where ralph dresses up as a spaceman referring to the show on yeah. tv which i think was the same show was on tv in 1985 but this is where he gets the idea to dress up as uh a spaceman oh, to persuade yes, George okay. to the thing, you know. Another one of these weird little coincidences that just happens to be on the TV, and then he that comes back to him later. Yeah, that's interesting. That gave him the idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. Then off he go. He asks where Riverside, how to get to Riverside Drive, or where Riverside Drive is. Um, I guess they might have renamed the area when Doc is in the future after he loses all his acres and it all gets built up. So he has to ask yeah. directions. The guy's like, oh, that's a block past Maple. That's some block past John F. Kennedy drives. Like, who the hell is John F. Kennedy? Because they don't know who yeah. he is yet. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, after he leaves, his dad makes a comment if he, to Lorraine, if she ever has a, if you ever have kids like that, who act like that, I'll disown you. 
is what he says. Yeah. His dad makes this, a comment about what a strange young man he is. Or no, it's his mom says, what a strange young man. And his dad's like, he's an idiot. It all has to do with upbringing. <laughs> and then he said, if you ever have a, if you ever have a kid like that, I'll disown you. Something yeah. like that. Well, you know, I also realized that we never actually meet George's parents. So Lorraine, oh, true. we you. meet Lorraine's family and they seem to be pretty well to do. They're doing just fine. They've got a piano. They've got all this nice artwork on the walls. There's TV. actually a lovely picture of a bright red blue barn up there and the TV. And they're doing really well for themselves until, of course, that would have been the time when George came into Lorraine's life and everything went pear-shaped for her. Um, yeah. So... There is something about the presidents as well, JFK and Ronald Reagan being referenced in the opening and then coming up in a bit, uh, which I'll I'll talk about in our in part two. But there's something cool about that. Yeah, are we going to go on to Doc Brown's? Yeah, that'll be the last the last part of this this one of this episode. Um, yeah. So yeah, Marty heads over to Doc Brown's and um, we meet Doc with a giant machine on his head. He's another one that is just, he's so fully committed to the rule. Like he is totally. Oh yeah. Deadpan serious that he has this machine on his head and he is going to read Marty's mind. <laughs> That's right. He takes the, the sucker and he sticks it onto Marty's forehead. That's the third <laughs> eye right there. You see, that's the third eye yes. from the thing at the start. Yeah, yeah. And he tries to read Marty's mind and he that's says, right. So interesting. He says, you want me to buy a subscription to the Saturday evening post? Right? <laughs> now, if I'm not mistaken, lightning does strike the clock tower on Saturday evening. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, right? that's right. It does. Then he says, uh, you want me to make a donation to the Lifeguard Youth Auxiliary? Well, when the woman, Marty has the flyer because the woman was canvassing for donations to see if the clock tower, Marty gives her a quarter. Yeah. So Doc's machine actually kind of works. A little bit. If he yeah. had just kept going, <laughs> if he had kept going, yeah. he would have got the answer. And maybe that would have distracted him from building his time machine. Well, he well, I, I don't know. I just think it's pretty neat. I think Doc is actually some kind of um he really is a genius. And like uh I also noticed yeah. the gold and red colors on the 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 massive um mind reading device. And this mm -hmm. is one of those scenes where we just get swamped with color, like between this room and when they go down to the garage, there's all this gold, there's lots of green, there's lots of blue everywhere, lots of red, the red couch, the blue throw. It's just it's drowning yeah. in all the color imagery. And I haven't really picked it all out yet, but it it's really lovely, like to watch. It's really good. Yeah. I love how they put all the sets together. Like there's so much attention to detail. It's great. Absolutely. Yeah. I really like um, Doc's response whenever Marty tells him that he's come from the future in a time machine that he invented and now he needs his help to get back. Doc's just like, do you know what this means? This damn thing doesn't work at all. <laughs> Talking about the thing in his head. That's right. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Right. He's so focused on his mind reader. He's like, oh, it doesn't work. You know, on that on that on that attention to detail thing in the last scene, um, I noticed behind um Lorraine's dad, there's an ornament, um, <clears throat> which is like a little man, it's a little statue, and he's got his hands out like this, and each hand is a red candle. His arms kind of turn into candles. Really? Okay. Yeah. And it reminded me of the two paths of fire that the DeLorean leaves behind when it goes back of in time. Course. It's like two streams of fire. It's like a little man with two fire, two streams yeah. of fire coming out of his hands. That's interesting. Weird little That's weird really shit interesting. like that all over the place. I also noticed in I don't know whether it was in the McFly household before Marty travels back in time 
or if it's in Lorraine's household back in 1955. But on the mantelpiece, there is like a statue of a horse up on its two hind legs, oh. um, which is quite interesting. Hmm. Horse symbolism. Yeah, to me, the horse like that symbolizes excitement. It's like the uncontrollable excitement. So really, that kind of echoes Lorraine's excitement about um, Marty appearing in her life at that point. Yeah, it's about adventure and yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So, uh, yeah, so so he's trying to convince Doc. He, as you were saying, he tells him a little story about how he knows about how he got the bump in his head and the flux capacitor. Yeah. And uh, then Doc's like, ah, um, oh, yeah, he shows him the picture of David. And Doc's like, well, it's a photographic fakery. Like, this, they cut the hair <laughs> off your yeah. brother or whatever. Yeah. The class of 84 jumper that his sister's wearing. Then he starts to call him future boy. Tell me, future <laughs> boy, who is the president of the USA? That's right, <laughs> Ronald Reagan. He's like, the actor? <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I know. Who's vice president? Jerry Lewis? Jerry Lewis? <laughs> I really love it's this. Funny. I can't wait to part two when I, when I explain why I think these jokes are in here. But um, okay. the president jokes, but... But yeah, so so eventually, um, because Marty tells him the story, Doc believes him. Then he's like, okay, there's something to this. So Marty takes him out yeah. to see the DeLorean and they arrive at the Lion's Gate at the Lion Estates. They go through the gates of time. He takes Doc through the gates of time and Doc sees the future in the form of the DeLorean. He shows yeah. him the flux capacitor. Doc shows him the picture that he drew. And Marty says there's something wrong with the starter. You know, it's like the starter, start start her starter start her there's something wrong with a starter and as we're going to find out right now there's something wrong with the starter of george and lorraine's relationship that yeah. relationship can't get started because there's something wrong with the starter yeah 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 <laughs> which is george george is the center of everything really or love is the starter i guess love is the starter yeah and then, but George is the center of that. It was how he fell out of the tree and got hit by his, the dad's car. That's what started the 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 love between them. That's right. Well, I guess he was already in love with Lorraine. He it was he, just how she noticed him. Well, he was definitely perving on Lorraine. We know that much. He was obsessed. Seems to have a little obsession going on with her. Um, yeah. But he's it, he's so deep in self doubt, as we're going to find out in the next uh, episode, that um, yeah, he can't um, do anything about it. Yeah. For sure. Right. So they go back to the, we're back. Are we flat? We t- we're taken back then to the, the lab, the lab, um, or his, yeah. Doc, his workshop. Doc Brown's garage, his workshop. Yeah. And then he sees, is this where he sees the video? Yeah. So they're watching the video and he makes a comment on the radiation and suits and he goes, Oh yeah, right. Of course. From the fallout from the, <laughs> from the atomic wars. Yeah. No wonder you need a president to be an actor. He has to look good on television. <laughs> That's right. And this is really cool part now. This is where we've we've so far been seeing 1955 through the eyes of the people that are living there, right? Where yeah, that's how we're experiencing it. And now Doc, because he's seeing the future through this the camera, through a recording of the future, which was Marty's perspective in 1985. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, other thing I wanted to point out about Doc's little space here is he's got um, the frames of the inventors that we saw in the opening sequence that were around his bed 
are up on the mantelpiece here. And after he sees that he has to generate 1.21 gigawatts, he picks down Thomas Edison's uh, frame oh, and I he didn't says, oh, that. it can't be done, can it, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that at all. I didn't notice that. <laughs> It's funny. It's funny. Marty's like, what the hell is a gigawatt? <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, the only thing that can generate that power is a bolt of lightning. Marty's like, oh, what? What do you say? A bolt of lightning. And then yeah. Marty goes, oh, shit, I've got the flyer in my pocket. And oh, no, he already has the flyer in his hand because he was telling Doc about how he's got a girl in 1985 and she yeah, wrote, I love you. Right. So he shows it to him. And Doc's like, great, Scott. And then, um, he starts to do his little ramble about how the, the lightning, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, we're sending you back to the future. Yes, that's right. The name of the movie drops the name of the movie in. That's right. Yeah. Um, they discuss the serious repercussions that Marty's uh, interact. Then he finds out that Marty's already met both his parents and he's essentially fucked up the timeline. By happenstance, and... he just bumped into them. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> And uh, yeah, they take they look at the photograph of the brother again. He, he shows the photograph again, and the brother's disappearing. The head is gone now, as well as the hair. That's right. Yeah, like he's being erased from existence. Erased from existence. That's dun, right. Dun dun dun. And, and on that it. cliffhanger, that's where that's we're going to end today's show. That's oh it my for god! This episode. Yes, we've reached almost Back the halfway to the point. We're about fifty-five minutes odd something into into the movie. Yep. And we'll do the second half in part two. For sure. Any final thoughts on so far? Anything we missed? I yep. don't think we've missed anything before. They're all beautiful. I know. Beautiful Lorraine's actors. Be Lorraine's beautiful too. Like in that scene, the first reveal, whenever we see her in up in her bedroom with Marty with Marty, she's just radiant. You know, like Yeah. They, yeah. They did such a great really, job with that. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. One of my um one of my coincidences was around the power of love, the theme tune, one of my okay. six. Okay, so hear. it was really funny today. I was procrastinating because I watched I did like a watch yesterday. I watched the full movie yesterday, but didn't take any notes. So today was like my note taking day, which actually it took forever. I was surprised at how long it took. I'm always surprised at how long it takes to write notes. Mm -hmm. And uh so I was procrastinating and watching some fan <laughs> videos, like fan life videos. And one of the fan lifers that I watch, right, is this really weird family called, I shouldn't call them weird, this really, um, they are weird. It's this weird British family called the Roaming Ranfords. And it's these two middle-aged parents and their three kids. Like the parents must be in their 50s, probably late 40s, early 50s. And they're currently traveling in the States. And I hovered my 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 little remote control, I clicked down. I didn't play the video, but as soon as I clicked down onto the video, the power of love started to play. Like the theme tune, it was a video they just posted like an hour before and the opening like 90 seconds of their wow. YouTube videos, they used the power of love as That's the background. Awesome. Had no relation to the video whatsoever. It just happened to be a track that they picked. How fucking random is that? That I was procrastinating from doing this like thing and um yeah the power of love starts to play from youtube it was really weird that's cool yeah that's cool so that was one sync i mean i have my i had a, a bunch of synchronicity around the whole back to the future thing here um but i'm saving it up i have to write it up because it goes into a few other things and i haven't decided how much detail i'm going to go into it on but uh, <laughs> we'll see what comes out in the next um in the next part. yeah my other sync was around HMS Caroline. So as you know, Simon, I worked for HMS Caroline, which is 
part of National Museums of the Royal Navy. It's been closed since the pandemic, which is what, three years? Three years. So it's been closed for over three years. Uh, and recently they've announced that they're going to be reopening, right? Oh. Which in itself isn't like a major, like, I'm really excited that the ship is going to be reopened. They're reopening, I think, in March or April. I think weekends in March and then April. And uh, Jack, my son, was sitting playing the Xbox. We've got an Xbox down in our living room, right? And underneath the underneath where our TV is, there's this wooden box. It's called a Diddy box. So it's what sailors used to keep all their personal belongings in. Oh, cool. That I that I. You'll need to cut that bit out, or you can okay. bleep that bit out. And uh, right, so Jack is like, "What's in this wooden box that's underneath the TV?" And I was like, "I don't know. It's been there for years. Like, it's literally been there since probably I would say 2015 that I put some shit in it and then stuck it under there." Mm-hmm. And he opens the box, and there's my notebook from whenever I first started at HMS Caroline. And it has like notes from my first trip over to the head office of National Museums of the Royal wow. Navy before I even started on site in Belfast. My first, wow. my first four or five days, it has the notes from my first four, day, four or five days in that job. How weird is that? That is extremely weird. Yeah, very, very the, weird. The ship's reopening, and Jack happens to find the notebook <laughs> I that I had <laughs> from like my first five days. Totally you- strange. Like it's not very relevant to Back to the Future, apart from the whole time travel thing. That my notebook is like a form of traveling back in time to that week. That's because true. I read through the notebook. I was like, I was reading through the notebook, and it's a way of that's kind exactly of traveling what it back is. to that moment. That's exactly what it is. It's like the library, the gateway to the past in the books. Yes, that's yeah, it. That's, that's it. Weird. Totally yeah. bizarre. Yeah, totally bizarre. Weird. They happened about a week apart. They didn't even happen in the run up. Like that one happened about a week ago. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, Mars. Yeah, great. So yeah, final mm. thoughts on the movie. I really enjoyed watching. Yeah, I've loved rewatching. Re- I've loved re-experiencing it, and um, yeah, it hasn't been too much of a problem for me. I think I've watched it another three times, and I'll watch it again for the second Shut half. Shut the two. front door. No, I do. That's what I do. That's what I do now. That's my life. <laughs> I've watched it. Tw- I've watched it one and a half times. I'll watch it again before we record the next the next part. Yeah. I thought um, Michael J. Fox had a great way of describing it. He said it was, uh, this is that actual notebook, by the way. It had blank pages in the back, so I thought I would use it. Very good. Also brings the sync to a nice end, a nice close. Mm -hmm. He described it as an action comedy adventure coming of age musical. (laughs) 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 Which is what it is. It's an action. It's a, it's an action comedy adventure coming of age musical. That is back to the future. Yeah, join us for part two, which will get posted um, very soon. So keep an eye out for that. If you want to hear, if you want to hear the next episode, hit that subscribe button. Yep, hit that subscribe. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining Jamie and me on that rewind show. Coming soon to the podcast, our complete Lockwood and Co. season one rewind. Please do like and subscribe because you know if you don't. I don't know if I could take that kind of a rejection.